0: As a founder or an early team member is that you always assume that the new person coming in knows everything that you know. So you always underestimate the importance of historical context and overestimate how quickly people can ramp up in that environment. This is the Passive Wealth
1: Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Joe Riley of Patriot Family Homes. Joe is a very successful short-term rental investor who to date has acquired over 400 properties across 35 markets with so much more on the way. Very successful. Today, we're going through his story of being in the military, starting as an accidental real estate investor, and then scaling his portfolio while he was in the military, overseas, actively deployed how he and his wife built their teams, built their systems, once he left the military, how they continued to scale, his thoughts about where opportunities are to be found in the short term rental space today, and so much more. A lot of great lessons in this one. So much knowledge. Really appreciate Joe joining us on the show today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments to date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind i appreciate that so so much that helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the apple podcast ecosystem and i'm always honest with you that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because i get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the wall street casino along with us don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every monday tuesday and thursday once again our guest today is joe Riley. we're talking short-term rentals let's go Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about how you got started as a real estate investor
0: while you were active in the military? Yeah, like most entrepreneurs, totally by accident. And so I was in Afghanistan at the time. I was deployed with the Ranger Regiment. My wife is a partner of McKinsey, so she travels you know, during the week a lot. So we needed to do something with our house. So we just thought we'll throw it up on Airbnb and HomeAway. Quickly realized, no surprise, there's a big need for furnished short-term accommodations around military bases with folks constantly coming and going. And so came back, didn't want to give up the revenue stream. So I moved my wife and I into one bedroom of our three-bedroom house, started renting out the other two bedrooms to people on Airbnb. And then we started buying other houses, flipping houses, the classic Burr model, where we'd buy something that's run down, renovate it get furniture in it, start renting it, refinance it, pull the cash out, go and repeat. And so then we did that for a while, built up to you know early 2019. We probably had eight, 10 homes or so, took out my first big lo- loan to go buy portfolio of homes. As soon as we closed, the army said, surprise, you're going to Ukraine. And I thought, well, this is how I go bankrupt because how do I manage an operationally intensive short-term rental portfolio <clears throat> from a shipping container in rural Ukraine? And God works things out in interesting ways. One of the guys I was deploying with his wife, been a West Point grad, army officer, real estate, gotten out of the army, did real estate and said, look, Kate, I'll take care of things while you're deployed. And so that forced us to kind of open up a property management arm and start building out the team. So then we grew from like 12, but 38, 40 homes while I was in Ukraine, came back from Ukraine, went to the White House, ran our counter China policy for the last 18 months or so, of the Trump administration continue to grow the portfolio there, then left and started full-time in 2021. And we've now gone from, you know, early 2019, eight or 10 homes to we're about 500 or so now on our path to a thousand this year. And uh, all short-term rental properties, Airbnbs, VRBOs, but not what you would think of the kind of million dollar beach home or multi-million dollar, you know, mountain chalet or High-end, you know, apartments as much, much more the kind of, we we call it run-of-the-mill homes and run-of-the-mill towns for run-of-the-mill folks. And so, you know, we started out around all around military bases, then quickly realized there's need for this in college towns and obviously tourist destinations and state capitals and places that have major hospital systems and have people, you know, basically we're looking for what we would call affordable real estate markets with a lot of churn because that churn then creates the demand for what we want. And so we're now fully vertically integrated. We've spun out our own management company. So we don't just manage our own properties. Uh, We work with other property owners to manage their stuff. And we often kind of specialize in transitioning stuff from traditional long-term rentals into more short-term rentals. And we're fully vertically integrated. So we've got an acquisitions department, a rental department. We have our own warehouses where we procure and warehouse the FF&E and then chip it out and install it in the homes. And then obviously property management, guest services, accounting. All of that. And so that has then allowed us to start working with larger kind of institutional style investors and capital partners who'll say, here's a check, go set us up at the back, go find the market, go find the homes, close on the homes, renovate the homes, furnish the homes, manage the homes. So, you know, we allow people to achieve passive income objectives with what we think is a higher cash flowing use case for single family rentals in the short term rental context. So that's basically what we did.
1: Awesome, great. So that is a really inspiring story and incredible case study of scaling up in in real estate investing. I'd love to dig into the strategy of, of run-of-the-mill homes and run-of-the-mill markets. Oftentimes I think when folks think about short-term vacation rentals or just short-term rentals in general, they think about the really lavish ones that have pretty significant rents in, you know, kind of the, the more trendy seasonal markets, but it sounds like your strategy is targeted kind of the opposite of that. What's the advantage or the what are the advantages of going for more, as, as you say, run-of-the-mill properties and run-of-the-mill areas?
0: Yeah, so I'd say, you know, at any given time, I'm wearing two hats. I'm wearing the property management hat and then I'm wearing the kind of asset management or property owning. Hat. So we do manage higher-end vacation rentals for other people, right? Let's say you've got a beach home or something like that. We will manage that for you. But when we partner with a capital partner that says, we don't want you to just be the property manager of our existing asset, but we want you to go out and build a curated portfolio of short-term rentals for us and provide that full-service asset management in addition to property management, that's when we then target more of these kind of -of run-of-the-mill homes and run-of-the-mill towns, run-of-the-mill folks, short-term rental management side, but what produces the highest yield for our investors on the PropCo side.
1: That's interesting. So you're essentially saying that the cheaper properties generally produce a better return for the investor in general when you factor in all the various costs like your debt and operating expenses and, and all the all the other things. The, the cash that you walk away with at the end of the day is generally better in cheaper properties in kind
0: of, well, as you said, tertiary markets. Or transitioning markets of more primary markets, right? So that's where we would kind of play in our core asset that we'd buy is in what we call kind of blue collar suburban or transitioning downtown course.
1: Interesting. Okay. So tertiary markets, I think are an interesting case because they, they kind of go, they can go in all directions, right? They can be growing or fading over time, essentially. How do you assess the markets themselves when you start approaching, you know, just a general area to get started, in, in buying Airbnbs or short-term rentals, how do you assess a given market in its overall potential? What are the metrics you look for?
0: Right. So first of all, we're a cash flow based, you know, model. So we're going to start with, you know, what markets have a high short-term rental revenue potential on the types of homes that we look at relative to the cost of buying those homes, right? So what's your rental revenue potential divided by your average home value? And so that's that's what kind of shrinks the market si- selection down for us initially. And then we start diving into, of those markets that kind of float to the top of performance, you know, we're looking at what are the sources of demand, how stable do we think they are, how you know resilient do we think they'll be in an economic downturn, you know, what are home prices look like, what's the job market, what's the kind of overall macroeconomic climate in that area. And then we move from that, you know, obviously looking at re- the regulatory framework, because you have to be very careful about regulations in this particular industry. So we're looking at that. And then... Yeah. And then obviously we're looking at home price appreciation. And so, you know, if you look at our our core focused, like many players in the space is Southeast focus of so Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, you know, Arkansas, Kentucky, you know, that's our kind of core space. We push up into Indiana and Ohio. It's got some in Pennsylvania, but that kind of core Southeast is our focus. We think there's a lot of really strong tailwinds behind them, you know, kind of macro economy in those States. And as a result you know, long-term positive outlook, both on the price of the underlying asset and the rental potential.
1: Interesting. Okay. So when you look at core demand drivers and how stable you think they are and and all those other factors that you mentioned, how do you quantify that? Like what, what type of demand drivers do you look for? One, then two, how do you like quantify, turn into numbers, how stable they are in terms of the demand that they can generate in the long run?
0: Yeah. So from a quantification standpoint, we we rely on a lot of, you know, there's a bunch of third-party data sources. There's AirDNA, Revity, Rabu, Mashvisor. There's a bunch of these different kind of data providers that help kind of evaluate rental potential. And then from a more of a qualitative standpoint in terms of what we're looking for, you know, again, we're looking for what creates a lot of churn in terms of, you know, when that churn in, in turn creates a need for, you know, short-term housing. So hospital systems are a big one, university towns, state capitals, obviously tourism, military communities, you know, any sort of community where you've got a lot of turnover. And then also just markets that have a lot of growth in terms of population growth. So that then inbound traffic, you know, creates need for construction crews. A lot, one of our staple, you know, groups of people who stay with us are construction crews because they find it you know more enjoyable and also more economical to stay with us versus staying in three or four hotel rooms. So, you know, large inbound population means, you know, dislocation from a timing perspective of waiting on permanent housing. It also means crews coming in to do construction and work and help grow the economy. So those are some of the things we look for.
1: Interesting. So the construction crew demand generation, if you will, the construction crew, I don't know, tenant side of things is actually not one that I've heard anybody mention before so when you're you know essentially putting a property together and and thinking about okay construction crews are probably a fairly likely type of tenant in this particular property are there any amenities that you target for that type of tenant that you might not really want to put in another sort of property or is it all kind of the same
0: yeah. So a couple of things. One, I'd say if you, know, if you think that's an odd customer base, my favorite thing to tell people is the number one reason people stay with us is funerals. Oh, okay. Which surprised a lot of people. But if you think about it, if mom or dad or grandma or grandma passed away and, you know, family's coming into town, been moved into a nursing home or clean, you know, family wants to stay together, celebrate that person's life, you know, don't really want to, you know, weddings, people have hotel blocks. You know, people don't do hotel blocks for funerals and they want to be together as more of a family. So that's actually our number one reason why people stay with us, which again, shows how kind of far off the beaten path that we are, how unique our, you know, customer set might be. The, in terms of how you'd monetize a house, if you're focusing on like construction crews, what we would call a more of a utility style product, you know, really there you're looking at, you know, do they have good parking? Cause oftentimes they'll have, you know, larger trucks you're looking at beds and heads, right? So, you know, we don't take the master bedroom and put a king bed in it. We take the master bed and two fools or two queens, right? Because then you've got, you know, folks, you know, in that situation are maybe okay sharing a room together, but, you know, might want to have their own bed. So we would do more smaller beds as opposed to three king beds, you know, across the rooms. And then, you know, that impacts how much we spend on the finishings, right? So, you know, if you're trying to appeal to more of a vacation audience, you're going to spend more on the bathroom and kitchen finishings in particular, maybe the paint. If you're, you know, appealing to a construction crew, you get more about, you know, you know, what's the price point. And so there you're not going to spend as much on the upgrades.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense.
0: Maybe some
1: fairly durable washers and dryers too, if I had to take a guess.
0: Yeah. We definitely index on durability and functionality as opposed to style. Yeah, (laughs) we think we have some decent style, but, you know, we're cheap assembled, you know, platform bed does not often fare well. So we look, we get reinforced steel bed frames and box springs and, you know, we're built to last. Makes a lot of sense. So
1: focusing a little bit on your particular story of scaling up and, and really building your business, it sounds like reading between the lines, it sounds like you really embraced building teams and systems in your business a lot. Earlier or more quickly than some other folks who don't scale quite as quickly or don't scale at all do. And I I might be making some assumptions here, but I'm betting you would agree. And if you do agree, what are some keys to that process that helped you build your team, build your systems,
0: build your business,
1: and continue to grow?
0: Well, we're first and foremost a mission focused company, right? And we hire people. We tell people we don't give people jobs, we give people missions. And so, you know, that kind of comes over from our military mindset, right? We work a lot with our, our number one source of employees are military spouses, you know, who need remote, portable, flexible employment or awesome, loyal employees. We work a lot with veterans, obviously work a lot with folks in the industry. And we work a lot with, particularly in our warehouse and maintenance roles with the people who've come from prison, gotten out of prison, right? And who are looking, you know, looking to kind of, you know, build something back with their lives. They're very grateful to their job. They work super hard. It, you know, in fact, our to get around the supply chains, we my grandfather ran a Christian rehabilitation center for men leaving prison. and so we built them a wood shop and then a bigger wood shop and a bigger wood shop. And now they manufacture much of the furniture that goes into our homes. And we use reclaimed wood from tractor trailer beds, so they have basically no cost basis in the material. and then so the guys coming out of prison learn useful skills. They can then go from there to work in our warehouses work in some of our logistics roles, maintenance roles. So we've been very blessed and able to work with those folks. So we look for people who want a mission, who are grateful for the job, who are excited to be part of a team, you know, and our values are, you know, along with Patriot Family Homes, our values are passion, family, and hard work. So we want people who are super passionate about what they do. We want to treat everybody in the company like a family, as though they're family. And then we make no bones about it that we're going to expect people to work really hard in return. And so that's, that's kind of what we do. And you know, we were really lucky in building, because we had people who believed in the mission, you know, we candidly got people who worked really hard, right, and who were willing to put their heart and soul into the company. And that's what's allowed us to get where we are. Great. Awesome. That's, that's fantastic. So
1: you mentioned early on when you were, maybe you wouldn't even call it early on, but when you were stationed in Ukraine and you ended up finding your, your team member, you know, I'm blanking on some of the details here, but, you know, go with me. I think folks will, folks will call you you got your team member military spouse to you know basically help you out and and build your team build out the organization everything along those lines but i would bet that there were some mistakes made right we we all make mistakes in business especially as we grow does anything stick out to you from that period when you first you know brought her on you're managing that process remotely from the other side of the planet did anything in particular go wrong that
0: you had a big lesson from i mean as a founder or an early team member, you always assume, and this is not just a mistake that we've made then, but we've made, I've made the mistake 50 times since then, right? <laughs> is that you always assume that the new person coming in knows everything that you know, mm. right? And you always, so you always underestimate the importance of historical context and overestimate how quickly people can ramp up in that environment, right? And, and that only becomes more challenging as you go along because there's like more context and more, you know, structure and everything else that goes along with it. So I think that was a big challenge for us to learn. Another challenge that we've had to learn with particularly hiring military, not military spouses, military spouses get it. They're actually some of the most entrepreneurial people that I've ever met. But sometimes with actual military veterans, particularly those who've been in for a longer period of time, you know, the military is perhaps not the most entrepreneurial enterprise out there you know, it's got 200 years of great. And I was, you know, I was in the army, so I'm very, you know, 200 year, 200 plus years of great tradition and legacy, but you'll meet folks in the military. Like I created this and I created that, I created this. And it's like, you didn't create that you refined processes, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what people in the military do. You've got 200 years of processes and systems and culture and doctrine and everything else being created. And on that you make important, but admittedly minor refinements. Whereas, you know, in a truly an early stage startup you are creating process and then the last thing is is that thanks to the taxpayer of the America taxpayers of America oftentimes myself included at times when we see a problem we think I need people I need a person to solve that problem right because you know in the military sure give me another body you know I don't have to pay for those labor costs <laughs> in, a, in a for-profit startup you know when we what we try to coach people is when you see a problem don't think people think process right so how do I create a better process? to solve this problem, not how do I go find more people. So,
1: interesting. Those are all
0: fantastic
1: examples. So, in any I think in any real estate investing strategy, folks are always asking, "Hey, what's the best way that I can get started?" As, you know, if not really sure what to do, which is an important question but not exactly the question I want to ask. What I'd like to ask is for your, you know, specific strategy with short-term rental investing, how can someone out there listening know if that's that strategy is right for them or not? Is that what are what are some things they can think about to determine whether that is the path that they should consider taking or if they should
0: look for something else? So I assume we're we're assuming that the person already has a property, right? They're deciding what operative is a short term rental or a traditional long term rental, right?
1: Sure, we can put that on there, the
0: table. There's a whole other set of you know questions around do you want to invest in real estate or not, and. Everything I should qualify that I'm not an investment advisor. You know, I'm you know only giving examples for my own general ideas. Absolutely, general idea Yeah. So if you have or have this already have a you know a rental property or want they've decided that you believe it's a good idea to get rental properties, then you're deciding is it better to do as a short term rental or as a long term rental. The first thing I'd say is look at the regulations and see if you can even do it as a short term rental because that may solve the problem for you. Then if you can, then the kind of distinguishing factors are while short-term rentals do have better cash flow, at least in my experience and in, in my view is that they have better cash flow, they have higher upfront costs, right? Because now I've got to pay for all the furniture to put in the homes. So if you don't have the disposable cash and you can't get loans on that. So if you don't have the disposable cash to buy or or you've got the furniture already laying around, you're like, you know, many people in the military, right? They The military moves them every eight, 12, 18 months. So they've got a furnished house and they're like, hey, instead of moving all my stuff across the country, I'll just leave the stuff in my house and I'll buy new stuff when I get to the next place. So, you know, if 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 you don't have the furniture and or don't have the cash to buy the furniture, then that takes it off the pet table. And then the third thing is cash flows better over a 12-month cycle, but it is seasonal, right? Even in non-seasonal markets, right? So you're not going to get the same check every month. It's not predictable. And you can have higher spikes in expenses around utilities, maintenance, cleaning costs, You know, so it is much spikier. And so if you if you truly are on the margins to kind of pay that mortgage payment every month, I'd probably stay with a safer bet and go with a longer term rental, right? Because chance you know, you've got a really good chance of making significantly more money than you would in a long-term rental, but you've got chances of making, at least in periods, significantly less. And if you're then not taking that, you know, if you're not taking your summer season revenue and putting it away. Then when you get to the winner, you're going to be hurting. Makes a lot of sense. And those are all great
1: factors to consider. I appreciate that you shared those with us right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Joe, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in
0: your education? was buying our first house, which I told my wife she was going to bankrupt on us bankrupt us on buying the house <laughs> and then told us she was going to bankrupt us on what we paid to renovate the house. And so we paid $162,000 for the house. We put $33,000 into it. We were generating about $60,000 a year in revenue. We sold it for $370,000. $370,000. So she definitely was right. <laughs> <laughs> that she likes to hear that.
1: Great. So yep. we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: Basically, anytime I try to actively trade my stock yeah. portfolio. <laughs> and within that, I would say definitely the worst investment was Fannie Mae and F- Freddie Mac. So, you know, I was on the bet that, you know, they were going to be privatized and then the stock price was going to go up accordingly and got it completely wrong and you know lost probably 75 80 percent loss of what I'd put it so ouch yeah. wow well In gener- if, if you're an entrepreneur you're probably not good at selecting your own stock so you should just you know you're either an, you're either an operator or an allocator very few people are both and so if you're an entrepreneur it means you're probably an operator you're not an allocator find somebody who's an allocator let them allocate your money if you're an allocator and you think you, you know, are going to be the next great, you know, entrepreneur, you're probably not. Go find somebody who is an operator, you know, and trade off with them and help, you know, get them the capital that they need to be successful. Well, well, yeah, my
1: trades have all gone south. So that's why <laughs> I try not to do that anymore. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: People are everything, you know, so if you got good people, you trust that you train them well, give them motivation, give them a mission. They'll, they'll make you successful. If you don't have good people or you're not good to your people, good luck.
1: So (laughs) great. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons about your growth, your business, and what you do in the short-term rental space. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to track you down and learn more about what you're up to, anything like that, where can they find you?
0: Just go to PatriotFamilyHomes.com. Such as www.patriotfamilyhomesplural.com. And, you know, we help manage people's properties. If you have a property you want to run as a short term rental, we do master leasing on properties. So we'll sign a three or five year lease on a property, turn around and sublease it, operate it as a short term rental. And if you're looking to go out and try to find a property to buy, you know, we have those opportunities as well.
1: Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, Please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with our listeners. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up on this video, and we'll see you on the next one right now. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.